In the past week in Northern Ireland, on Thursday past there, some 26,000 students received their A-level results. And that's always a time when young people are reflecting on the future and thinking of what comes next. Decisions have to be made. Perhaps there are goals that they have, perhaps a particular course of study uh, to follow after, and different plans have to be made. And questions are often asked, well, what is your ambition in life? What are your goals in life? And it's good to have those goals. And sometimes our plans change. I was fondly remembering way back all those years ago when my A-level results came in. And I have to admit that I didn't do as well as I would have liked. And I ended up having, I think, my second option, which was not my first plan. And I ended up coming to Coleraine. And here I've been ever since, pretty much. And there's maybe some people in Coleraine today saying, I wish he'd done a bit better (laughs) at his A-levels and went somewhere else. But this morning, while it's good to think about earthly goals, earthly plans, and those are right, I believe we should do that. There is a greater plan. There is a greater goal, a greater ambition that we all need to have. And this morning I simply entitled the message, What Are Your Eternal Goals? What are your eternal goals? And this morning we're going to look at three things in this chapter this morning. We're going to see there's a sharp contrast between the thinking of the child of God and the person who is unsaved. We're going to see that David had a singular resolve to stand firm in his conviction for the things of Christ. And we're going to see finally a steadfast confidence what we need to be reminded of as believers each and every day of our life as we aim towards our eternal goal in heaven. So first of all, the sharp contrast. What do we see here? Well, in this prayer, as you follow the prayer through verse by verse, you can see David bringing to the Lord his observations. And perhaps this is at a critical time in his life. He talks about being persecuted. He talks about the wicked. He takes a look around him and he sees the prosperity of the unsaved and those who seem to prosper in their way, those who are not saved, those who are wicked. And you know, whenever we come to consider life and we come to consider the world around us, there really are only the two viewpoints. It's the viewpoints of those who are saved and the viewpoints of those who are not. The viewpoint that is held by the one who is really just living for this life. David talks there about men of this world who have the portion in this life. And then there are those who are saved and seeking to live and glorify God. And you know, sometimes we can look at life, we can look at a circumstance, we can look at a situation, and two people looking at that situation will see it in two very different ways. And when I was preparing this sermon and thinking about this contrast between how the believer thinks and how the unsaved thinks, it reminded me of a story that I once heard about two ladies, I think they lived in America, and they were in a nursing home. One of them was greatly interested in nature. I think she was maybe a biology teacher, had spent her life interested in nature. And she loved to sit on the veranda in the summer evenings and listen to the crickets make their noise and make the sound that they did in the evening. Her friend was a former choir leader. And she loved to sit on the veranda also beside her friend 
on the summer's evening, but for a different reason. Because just down the road from them, there was a, a little church, and in the summer evenings, the choir practiced, and they would often leave the windows open, and this lady loved to sit and listen to the choir singing. And one particular night, the two of them were sitting side by side on the veranda, listening to the things that they really enjoyed, the choir singing in great voice, and the crickets making their noise as well. And these two ladies sitting listening to the same, or listening at the same time. And as they sat there, the choir was in great form that night. And so the former choir leader, she turned to her friend and she said, isn't that the most wonderful sound in all the world? And her friend said, yes, it is. And isn't it amazing to think they make that noise by rubbing their legs together? (laughs) She was listening to something different. She had her ear tuned to something else. And believer, this morning we need to have our ear tuned to those eternal goals. We all need to have our ear tuned to eternity. Yes, we live in this world. Yes, we all have to deal with the matters of life. Yes, there's things that we all routinely have to go through. But where are our eternal goals? Where is our focus? What are we listening for? What are we focused upon? I want you to see just a few things in this chapter here. We need protection. If you take a look there at that chapter, there's some of the petitions that David brings that we can all pray that we all need to consider. Verse 5, he says, Hold up my goings and thy paths, that my footsteps slip not. He didn't want to fall, didn't want to stumble. Maybe you're here this morning. You're one of the 26,000. You've got your A-level results, unlike me. You've done well, and you're heading off to where you want to go. It's a new chapter in life. Young person, you pray that prayer every single day. Hold up. Lord, hold up my goings and my paths that my footsteps slip not. There is much in this world to distract you. There is much in this world to take you away from the Savior. You pray that prayer. What does David pray in verse 8? He says, keep me as the apple of the eye. Hide me under the shadow of thy wings. And you know, maybe this morning, it's not the wicked that is your concern. But there's many enemies that you and I as Christians have in this world. One of the biggest ones is yourself. The biggest enemy that Stephen McLean has is Stephen McLean. Why? Because we're always fighting against the flesh. We're always fighting against ease and difference and so on. But perhaps the enemy has other things for you. Perhaps it's a financial issue. Perhaps it's a family problem. Perhaps It's an illness or concern that's come into your life. And you know, this morning, here's your encouragement. Do as David did. Take it to the Lord in prayer and pray those words. Keep me as the apple of thine eye. That part of the body that is so precious and yet is so well protected as we consider where it's placed in the skull. Hide me under the shadow of thy wings. And you know here what he does as well? David brings his prayers to the Lord. He sees all this around him. He sees the wicked, as I said at the start there, increasing. If you take a look there uh, down the chapter, and 
Um, he speaks there in verse 14. He says, From men which are thy hand, O Lord, from men of the world which have their portion in this life, whose belly thou fillest with thy hid treasures. The thought is, here they are increased. They have all these things, and yet these are the ones that were persecuting David. What does he do? He brings it to the Lord in prayer. He's not one who's going to jump in and sort this for himself. He seeks to bring every aspect to the Lord in prayer. But you know, as we look at this this morning, what we can see quite clearly is the fact that David, as I said, is on a different path and is moving in a different direction. And I singled out those words earlier on where he said, they're men of this world which have their portion in this life. And maybe you're here this morning and that is you. Your focus, your aim, your goal in life is purely for this world and what you can get from it. Yes, it's wonderful that you're here today and we love to see you in the house of God, but really, you may be here for a multitude of reasons. And yet your heart is far away from the things of God and the things of eternity. You need to come. You need to accept Christ as your Savior. You need to turn to Him. Because as we look here, David uses those words as we come to the end of this point. He says, as for me. And that idea of that, as for me, shows the sharp contrast that is here. David has his focus on something else. And it leads on into the rest of that final verse there. I will behold thy face in righteousness. What was it? To seek the face of God. To follow after the Lord to be found in him. We came to the house of God this morning and often we use those words, let us seek the Lord's face in prayer. To come to him, to seek his will and to do that which is pleasing his sight. We can see there the sharp contrast. Tell me, friend, this morning, where are you? Are you on the side of the saved? Are you on the side of the lost? Because there is a contrast. There's a contrast in the way you think. There's a contrast in the way the believer thinks. The believer is thinking towards eternal things. What about your soul? What shall a profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? We see there, in the first place, a sharp contrast, but we also see a singular resolve. There was a man called Onodo Hiro. I think that's how you pronounce his name. He was an imperial Japanese army intelligence officer who fought in World War II. And interestingly, he didn't surrender at the end of the Second World War in August 1945. On the 26th of December 1944, he was sent to a remote island in the Philippines. He was ordered to do all that he could to hamper enemy attacks on the island. And he was told... His orders were given. Under no circumstances was he to surrender or to take his own life. After the war ended, of course the Second World War ended, peace was declared, and the army tried to get messages to this man. The war was over. But he ignored them. He thought, no, that's not the orders I've been given. I've been given an order to do. And he spent the next 29 years in hiding until finally his former commander was sent by the emperor to relieve him of his duties. And only when that happened did he step down. 
He had a singular resolve. He was given a command to do, and he was going to follow it through. And I wonder here this morning, as God's children, we may look at that particular aspect, and we may think to ourselves, well, that sounds very strange. But this man showed his resolve. A bit like what David said here, well, as for me, as for me, irrespective of what happens in the world, irrespective of what I see going on around me, no matter how dark the day, I'm going to keep doing what God has called me to do. I'm going to stand for Jesus Christ. I'm going to live in a way that brings honor and glory to him. David says here, as for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. Do you remember whenever those Greeks came to Philip in John 12, verse 20 and 21, what did they say? Sir, we would see Jesus. They longed to see the Lord. Romans 8 reminds us that to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And you know, those words that David says remind me very much of the words that Job uh, spoke as well. He said, I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I what? I shall see God. And there is the thought here of two aspects of this. There is here embedded in these statements a confident hope. I shall see thy face in righteousness. And I wonder do we seek to do that, friends, each and every day. When we get up, when we are about to go about our day's business, do we want to see the face of God? Because we stand in Christ's righteousness. And I think that's a wonderful assurance that we have. And Philippians 1, 7 says, Paul says, What things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. He goes on in verse 9 and says, And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. We stand, if we're saved this morning, in the righteousness of Christ. And that allows us. That means we are forgiven. That means we are redeemed. That means we can come into God's presence and seek his face. And friends, let us do that no matter what. There are challenges that you and I face day by day. Are we willing to say, but as for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I'm going to go in the ways of God. I'm going to serve him. Perhaps for a young person this morning, your friends are going in a particular direction. I know it's a difficult thing, but are you willing to say, no, as for me, I'm going to serve the Lord? Remember those words that Joshua said, those very familiar words, choose you this day whom ye will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There is there a singular resolve, a sharp contrast, and there's also a singular resolve to stand firm in your conviction of Jesus Christ. Young people this morning, can I just address you in particular I think of Daniel. And Daniel, we read of Daniel that Daniel purposed in his heart. When faced with all the trappings of the the worldly situation around him, promotion 
could have been given to him and so on. It says that Daniel purposed in his heart. And I've often thought about this. It would be a lovely sermon to preach on being a Christian on purpose. And do we have that purpose of heart? I speak to myself here this morning as I say all of this. But are we purposed in our hearts? I don't have to describe to you the wickedness of the world that we live in. I don't have to talk to you about the philosophies and the ideas that are being promoted day and daily in this world. Let's be like David. Take it to the Lord, but then just to say, as for me, I'm going to live the way God wants me to live. To be that example, to be that witness and that testimony for Jesus Christ. A sharp contrast, a singular resolve, and then in the final place, there's a complete satisfaction. Take a look there at that final part of verse 15 of Psalm 17. He says, I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. It's time to wake up. I'm not directing that to anybody here this morning now. I can't see with my glasses on, so I don't know. But maybe you've heard that cry this morning. Perhaps somebody had to wake you to try and get you aroused and ready from your blissful slumber uh, to get you out to the house of God. Or maybe during the week someone has to do that or an alarm clock has to do that to awake you. And you know, I think we're all a bit like that. We're unconscious and we begin then to become conscious of the surroundings that we're in. Perhaps you're on holiday here and perhaps you've woken up on a morning and you're not quite sure where you are. And eventually as you begin to wake up and consciousness begins to descend upon you, you understand, you see your circumstances, you know exactly where you are. And David here, when he's talking about waking up, he's talking, of course, about a future day when he will one day awake from death and he will stand and see the Savior. I want you to take a look there at what he says. I will be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. You see, David, in this particular psalm, he was encapsulating something that we all know is so true. Whenever you think about the time when Adam fell in the Garden of Eden, sin came into the world, we became fallen. We became separate from our God. And you know, when that happened, we were dead in trespasses and in sins. And we needed to be awoken. And maybe this morning there's somebody here and your eyes are closed. Your eyes are closed because you're blind. And you're blind because the God of this world has blinded your minds. That the light of the glorious gospel would not shine onto it. We need the Spirit of God to come and you need the Spirit of God to come and to open your eyes and to awaken you to salvation. That is one of the greatest awakenings that anyone can have, to have their eyes opened. Lord, I was blind, I could not see. But there's that moment in time when the Spirit of God comes and awakens us and brings us to life. The word satisfy there just simply means to meet the expectations, needs, or desires of someone. And let's be honest, as believers, we're never satisfied with our walk with God. We're never satisfied with ourselves. I don't know if it's you, maybe it's just me, but as I go through life, the more I understand of myself, the more situations I face and the way I respond, I realize I am far from perfect. 
and we need day by day to be conformed into the image of his son. But you know, there was different people in the world and the word of God that I think would be valuable just to spend a moment thinking of the times when they woke up, the times when they became conscious for the first time. Let's think of the first one. I mentioned him there a moment ago. Adam, can you imagine how Adam felt, what it was like for Adam when he awoke, when his eyes opened for the first time after the Lord had created him? Word of God tells us the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. Can you imagine that moment when Adam was conscious for the first time of what it was like to be in the Garden of Eden? To be conscious of himself? To be conscious of all that was around him, of the creator that had made him? To have that unbroken fellowship with God? And do you know something else Adam had? He had no knowledge of sin. He had no baggage of sin that he had committed. None of that. There was no sinful past in the life of Adam. But can you imagine what it was like when he opened his eyes and he saw that? Can you imagine what it was like for Adam? The next time we read of him opening his eyes, and of course the Lord God caused a great sleep to fall upon Adam, and when he awoke, there he saw his wife. Can you imagine how he felt that first moment? Maybe you're thinking back to the time when your eyes were opened to the one that you married. You saw them for the first time. Maybe you're still praying for that moment that that will happen. Well, do pray. Pray the Lord will guide you to the right partner in life. There's no greater matter, I believe, after salvation than finding out the person that God wants you to spend your life with, if that's his will for you to spend someone, your life with someone. But there was that moment when he opened his eyes. But then can you imagine how Adam felt when he awoke the day after he sinned? And he looked out on a world that was now marred by sin. Romans 5 and 12 reminds us, wherefore as by one man, Adam, sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. That does away with theistic evolution right away. Because there was no millions of years of death before Adam and Eve. It was because of Adam's sin that death came into the world. Let us always be mindful of that. We cannot square that circle or try and marry the two things together. Adam looked out on paradise lost in a world that he had introduced sin and death to. And you know, friends, as I said, that's the world that you and I are in. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We look out today on a world that is marred, that is tainted. And even when we are saved and redeemed by Jesus Christ, we realize we're not perfect. We're far from it. And maybe you're here this morning and like David, you're looking for satisfaction. But you're looking for satisfaction in all the wrong places. Augustine, one of the church fathers said, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. You will never find satisfaction outside of Jesus Christ. You will never find peace and contentment outside of Jesus Christ. All the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. You need to have your eyes open. You need to be awake. You need to come to Christ. I can't pass by another instance in the Word of God, of course, where we read of someone opening their eyes for the first time. 
You know, sometimes we maybe go on a holiday and we've looked forward to it and we can't wait to get there. Thankfully, this hasn't happened to me, uh, I don't think, any time at all, but I've heard other people complain. You go somewhere and it's terrible. And when you come home, you can't wait to give it the one star on TripAdvisor and tell all your friends to avoid that place. You will never be back there again. You will never go there. I think of the rich man in Luke chapter 16. Can you imagine how the rich man in Luke 16 felt when he awoke and was conscious for the first time that he was in hell? Can you imagine how that felt? We read the dialogue there of how he doesn't want his brothers to come to this place, send Lazarus to dip his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. This is somewhere he doesn't want anybody to come to. I don't want anyone to come here, but now he's here. The preachers were right. Perhaps his parents were right. Perhaps the man down the street giving out the gospel tracts was right. He realizes I should have listened. I should have considered the word of God, but I didn't. The word of God says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? See, the default position for all humanity is without Christ. Hell is the final goal. Only those who accept Christ as their savior can escape from it and find faith in Jesus Christ. It doesn't have to be like that this morning. If you're here and you're not saved, hell does not have to be your final destination. But at the same time, I don't have to tell you about how short a time you might have upon this earth. When I was considering this message, I was going to use the title Long-Term Goals, and I thought, no, that's not right, because that might give the idea to someone here this morning that they've got time to sort this out. You might not have a long time. I might not have a long time. We need to sort these matters out now. Believer this morning, can you imagine, as we close, what it will be like when you close your eyes in death and then to open them immediately in heaven? Because let me tell you, that is what you will experience. That is where your final, ultimate goal will be. A little child perhaps gets restless at the end of the day. It's downstairs in its mother or father's arms and it begins to struggle and then sleep begins to take over and eventually it falls asleep in its father's arms. What does the father do? He takes it upstairs, puts it into its own bed. The next morning the child wakes. Where is it? It's now upstairs. It's in a different place. And I believe that's a lovely analogy of what it's like for the believer. The rich man died and was buried. Lazarus was carried by the angels. What lovely, comforting language there. And that is the final state of you and I when we pass away, to be carried into the presence of our Savior. The Catechism says, the souls of believers are at their death made perfect in holiness and do immediately pass into glory and their bodies, being still united to Christ, do rest in their graves to the resurrection. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Believer, that's your future. Absent from the body, 
present with the Lord, no matter what's going on in this world. David is saying this with great confidence. There's no I might in this. He says, I, will be sat- I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. I'm going to be with the Lord. The thief on the cross, the Lord said to him, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. To see the Savior, to be reunited with him. Paul said, I'm in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. This is something to look forward to. You know, friends, there's a great confidence in the Word of God about our final destination. 1 John 3, verse 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. What does that mean? To be like Christ, to finally be with Him. Well, here's some things just as we close. The end with the battle of sin. He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. None of us is perfect and we never will be. But when we reach heaven, the battle of sin is over. No more battle with sin. No more battle with sickness. No more battle with illness. No more battle with heartache. All those things are gone. The former things will be passed away. The disappointments of life will be ended. The concerns the sleepless nights, the worry over others, that will be gone. We have a moment here on earth when we can serve God and do as much as we can for Him, but we will then awake with Christ's likeness and we will go in to see the King. You know, one day that body will raise from the dead and we will stand before God in our glorified body and we will see our Savior. And friends, just like Adam As Adam looked out on that world when he was just created, he saw it in perfection. He had no sin in his heart. He had no, as it were, burden of sin in the background. Your sin will all have been taken away. Your sin will all have been dealt with. And we will go in to be with Christ forever. That, friends, is the believer's eternal goal. We've seen this morning a sharp contrast. We've seen a singular resolve. We've seen this steadfast confidence. Tell me, where do you stand this morning? Are you saved? Are you seeking to walk for God? If not, are you going to say this morning, as for me, I'm coming to Christ. I'm trusting Him. I'm living for Him. Believer, perhaps you've been discouraged in the past week, months, years. Perhaps you've got away from God. Perhaps you're not where you ought to be. Are you going to say this morning, as for me, I'm going to return like the prodigal to the Father's house and follow him for the rest of my days? David says, as for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. Let's close our meeting this morning in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we approach into thy presence today. We thank you for thy word. We thank you, Lord, for the great confidence that we have in thy truth. We thank you, Lord, for what Christ has done for us upon the cross in shedding his precious blood and redeeming us and calling us by our names and drawing us unto himself. Well, Father, may we live in the light of our eternal hope. Father, we pray that we would purify ourselves from all those things that will mar and harm 
our testimony for God. And Lord, again, if there be any here this morning who are not saved, Lord, may, Lord, open their eyes. Lord, I can't ask anything else but to pray that the Spirit of God would open blinded eyes, that they might see Christ in all his beauty, that they might understand that Christ is the only Savior. And Lord, that you would draw sinners to yourself. Be with us now as we part. Take us to our homes in safety, we ask. In Jesus' precious name, amen.